The Alabama Crops Report Podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Alabama Crops Report Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kessheimer. And I'm your other host, Amanda Shear. And we're excited to be joined today by a returning guest, sometimes part-time host, our cotton agronomist, Steve Brown. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing well. How about you? Fantastic. The sun is shining, it's warming up, and we are getting ready to put some seeds in the ground. It's a beautiful day, and it's spring is coming, it looks like. Steve, we first kind of wanted to start with, you know, what were our final numbers, you know, for 2022 in terms of the cotton harvest? How did we do? Actually, I think the numbers are continuing to roll, but they are dwindling. We're, USDA has us at 938 pounds per acre average. Um, what was kind of mysterious, we started out maybe in June when they supposedly finalized acres. They finalized us around 400, right at 400,000 acres. When we got into harvest, they actually bumped those numbers at, at least twice, and they say we wound up with 438,000 acres, and, and that's going to bring our average yield down. If we, if we stayed at that 400,000-acre uh, mark in terms of uh, harvested acres, that would put us around 960 pounds. As it is, it, is each week we're seeing fewer and fewer, and fewer uh, gin, uh, gin numbers, and uh, so we might not make 900 pounds an acre. So that's a, we're somewhere in that range as we, as we look back to 2022. What was really good for us is we got to mid-September, and we had been experiencing several weeks of rain and overcast weather, and we thought we were going to see just what we had observed in the previous seasons and, and been, been very disappointing in that we had a good crop and then we lost it to, to fall weather. But around the 12th of September, it quit raining, and we really enjoyed weeks of very, very good weather for crop to ma- the crop to mature and for farmers to harvest. And so we realized probably a better than expected yield, at least where we were in early September. So now that we kind of summed up 2022, um, what's the current outlook for 2023 and the current cotton price? And I'll add that we're recording today. It's February 20th of 2023. Recent reports have suggested across the U.S. cotton acres are going to be down significantly. The the numbers for Alabama are about 13 percent acres, 13 uh, percent down in terms of acres for 2023. I don't I don't think anybody knows at this point because the fluctuations in prices, market prices, has somewhere around uh, on December futures, which is the the will be the 2023 crop mark. Uh, around 82 cents a pound. It's, it's in recent weeks has been trading more in the 85, 86 cents range. Uh, last year's crop peaked out around a dollar 32 per pound, and we, you know, farmers are definitely hoping for that, and are disappointed with where acres are, and that probably reflects an overall increase uh, in the U.S. expectations this year, which are pegged somewhere around just under 11.5 million acres, again, significantly down over the previous year. So, Steve, as a, as a non-cotton person on this episode, I know we've seen reductions in corn acreage the past year. A lot of that was related to input prices, and we had some, some tough weather, especially in North Alabama, so that may kind of reduce acreage even more. And so if we're also seeing a reduc- reduction in cotton acres, what are we planting? That's a good question. Where are the acres going to go? I, I think the disappointments in corn last year, 
I think will probably hold cotton acres up. Uh, dry land conditions, especially in North Alabama, were disappointing, and, and cotton probably did better than, than they thought at one time. In fact, some parts of the state, particularly nor- the northeast part, they made a very, very good crop. So I, I know farmers will max out what they can plant in terms of peanut acres. Rotations will constrain them from going beyond that point. I think we'll plant cotton, we'll plant soybeans, maybe more than we've seen in, in the recent past. Um, whether or not we're gun-shy on, on corn, I, I don't know. But input prices have retreated a little bit, but not greatly. And so farmers, it's it's tough on the farm uh, with, with input prices increasing in, in so many different areas. Sure, sure. So... With all that uncertainty and and risk and and price movement, um, what thing can growers do to really kind of reduce their risk as we get going into planting season in terms of of cotton decisions? That's a tough question. I think we've pared down and pared back and trimmed and thought for so many years now. Uh, We can always be, uh, maybe we can always be a little more efficient and and. Timing is always, we, we maximize the, the output from our inputs if we're on time with whatever we do. That requires uh, ability, capacity, equipment, labor, and certainly labor is a, another ongoing challenge on the farm for, for everyone. So uh, I, I don't know that I have an easy answer in that regard, but the good, the good producers that have the capacity are, are thinking, no doubt, about how to approach uh, 2023 in all their commodities. Kind of continuing on that topic of reducing your risk um, going into 2023, at least from like a disease management standpoint, I always recommend producers really diversify variety selection on their farm. What kind of advice do you give producers when they're seeking out which varieties to choose to plant for 2023? As we look at the landscape, there are a lot of competitive varieties. We don't have King Kong out there that really should take the mark. We've seen eras when a specific variety dominated maybe 80 or 90 percent of the acres. That that day is not with us currently. Uh, farmers are making decisions based on technology. Probably the first decision they make is on herbicide technology. Of course, you've got Extend and you've got Enlist. Under the Extend umbrella, there's probably five brands and, and a single brand under the Enlist. So more of our acreage definitely goes towards Extend. And so then they look at the – as a university person, we're, we always think about data, and, and we think the data should solely turn on da- – uh, the decision should solely turn on data. That's probably not exactly right, but but I encourage people to take a look at the yield data from from Auburn University uh, small plot. That's the OVT program, uh, as well as large scale on farm program. Look at company data. Listen for the coffee shop talk. Uh, you know, think about experiences on your own farm in your own neighborhood. And so, trying to absorb what are what what what's floating towards the top. The one thing I like about the on farm trial program compared to, say, the OVT program. I think the OVT program is the best measure of agronomic potential, but the numbers of entry maybe exceed 30 or 40, and so it's hard to sort through that. It's hard for me to sort through that. But if you look at the on-farm entries, there are about a dozen, and so that probably represents the best of the best from the company perspective. And so I look hard at those and, and say, hey, what what are those do I like in terms of yield? What what's merging towards the top there in terms of yield and fiber quality? And I, 
I would also make the point that, uh, as you said, diversity, we probably don't want to put all our eggs in one basket. There is no one star that, that wins every time. I do think planting date, because it takes us weeks, you know, two, three, four weeks, or five weeks even for some producers to plant the crop. Calendar does give us some diversity, but still I would I would say we need to plant multiple varieties on farm, whether that number is three, four, five, or six. We need to be looking at, at multiple varieties in that mix. And then I'll say one other thing about that. We, we're always moving forward to new stuff. And so I would devote a little bit of acres to look at new varieties, to, to say, hey, what might be the star of the future? Well, how does it, how do, I, how do I approach management? How does it perform on my farm? That sort of thing. You mentioned technology and how important that can be in decision-making. We've heard a lot about Thrive on Cotton. Can you give us a quick recap of where we're at with that technology? In the last couple of weeks, Thrive On has received full international approval, so they are proceeding with commercial introduction across the board to every producer this year. Supply is, is limited, which is probably a good thing for us because it allows us to, to take a look at the technology before we jump whole hog. Clearly, and this you can see this historically, when new technologies are introduced, they are not, they are rarely pushing the yield curve uh, up, up, and up. They do represent improved pest management technology, but they don't immediately represent higher yields and, and, and better fiber quality. That's been the, uh, true dating back to the mid-1990s. So I, I think that gives producers, they shouldn't spend more to, to get less, but for thrips management, for plant bug control, uh, that this is a, a, a new tool for us that can really help us. I know you'll have Dr. Scott Graham on in, in a coming issue of the podcast to talk about this in more detail. But again, I think it's a, a look-see type year for us to, to see how this uh, might fit in our overall operation before we commit a lot of acres to it. And if people are curious before we get Scott back on here to talk about it in more detail. There have been some articles from both you and Scott in the February Alabama Crops Report newsletter and the Cotton Shorts newsletter. That's right. Those can be referenced online through the ACES webpage. And if you type Alabama Cotton Report newsletter or the Alabama Cotton Shorts, you'll find issue those issues readily. And before we leave uh, Thrive On, let's quickly talk about pest issues and how that factors into decision-making right now for, for cotton growers. I don't think farmers are overly concerned about pest issues, but as, as y'all have mentioned in, in recent podcasts, uh, a warm winter, and of course we were extremely cold at Christmas, but since then we've been rather warm, and so that means we should maybe expect more pressure this year. Um, I, I don't know that they, the, the tools we have represent pretty good options for dealing with uh, with worm pests, and so I, I don't know that that really tilts their, their thoughts. But new tools, particularly again, the thrips management, uh, stink bugs continue to probably be the key pest. And you'll talk about that more in, in coming months as we get into the season. So, um, But warmer weather probably means more pressure for the year. So let's brace ourselves and be ready. In terms of additional things that producers need to think about before planting. Probably the biggest thing is seed quality. Um, so what are your thoughts on why that's so important, you know, why it matters? Cotton is, is a challenging crop 
to establish. Uh, I had a, a mentor years ago said, anybody can plant cotton, but not everybody can get a stand. And cotton is a much more fragile seed and seedling than perhaps soybeans, peanuts, or corn. And so it's a little more tentative. We're a little more sensitive to moisture stress. We're, we're more sensitive to, to depth of, of seeding and planting. And so that uh, quality matters in that regard because we want, when conditions are right, we want to be able to proceed with confidence that we plant the seed, we're going to get a, get a stand. The other part of this is if we go back a generation, when we first, just before we introduced the biotech realm, uh, a bag of seed cost about $35. Today, with all the bells and whistles, a, a bag of cotton seed might cost $750. we are getting close to $800. So that's a 20-fold increase. And so we're buying a more expensive product. Uh, we really need it to come up and, and to deliver all the technology that it, that it brings. So seed quality stand establishment are, are always an important consideration in cotton. I just want to clarify. So... What has changed over the years? Price has changed, and we're also delivering incredible technologies that that have a profound impact on our overall management, but we're delivering it to, to the same old, not the same old seed, but to a seed that's carrying a lot of uh, a, a lot of weight with it, if you might use that term. If you look at the overall cost of that seed, the seed itself might be 15% of the total bag cost, the rest of that's technology, and so, um, but still, that that fifteen percent has got to deliver the goods to yeah, get no, us a stand. Got a lot of work to do. Yes, that's right. And so, let's talk about seeding rates. The the increase in cost have compelled. Uh, hey, we, we how low can we go? And there's been a lot of research over the over the past years. In the past three years, I, I've had research in uh, two southerly locations as well as in North Alabama. And in the southerly locations, we, we really didn't see uh, that seeding rate had an impact on yield. Now, that's not to encourage one seed per foot, but, but that should give confidence for producers to maybe look at two seed per foot as a standard and adjust upwards under adverse conditions if they, they know what, what's out there. In the northern, in, in, at Belmina, where we've done the study two years, we did see a trend that we needed a little higher seeding rates. And the goal there is not to encourage those producers to look at two seed per foot, but maybe somewhere around three seed per foot or maybe a little less. We've got some folks planting three and a half, four seed per, per foot. If they could trim a little, they can save some cost as well with confidence that they're going to sustain uh, overall yield. So that's really the uh, the impetus for looking at, at seeding rate studies, how how low can we go to get a consistent stand that will produce uh, maximum optimum yield, yields in our situation? And what if in 2022 we maybe had budgeted and purchased seed to, to go to that two or three seed per foot, but we ended up going with, with one or two? What can we do with that carryover seed? Carryover seed is we need to test that seed if if it's if it's on the farm or maybe in, in distribution and they want to sell you last year's seed. Uh, you can test that with the Alabama Department of, of Ag and Industries to see the germination on that. And generally, the, the seed quality numbers we're looking at would be warm germ and cool germ. Warm germ is, by law, is supposed to be 80% or better, and warm germ uh, is determined at a constant 
favorable temperature for cotton growth and development, which is 86 degrees. Cool germ is, is more a measure of how well this seed is going to do under stressful marginal conditions. And people, uh, it's not the perfect uh, uh, number, but it gives an indication of how effective we might be in stand establishment on a marginal temperature. That kind of test is conducted at a constant 64.4 degrees. And and again, it reflects of, hey, if conditions are tough or we have crusted soils, cold weather, uh, how well is that, that crop going to come up? So both, we, use, we look at both of those numbers to think about seed quality and if we know we're dealing with seed that's a little on the lower end of, of that quality spectrum, we might want to be cautious about trimming too much. We might want to go even bump it up a little bit. Now that we've kind of talked about, you know, seeding rates and, you know, variety selection, let's kind of swing back a little bit to variety selection. You know, probably a big increase in the last couple of years in questions has been about nematode management in cotton. Um, so just for our listeners, we have two main nematodes that affect cotton in Alabama. We have the reniform nematode and then the root knot nematode. And the root knot nematode we find more often in South Alabama in that kind of sandier soil. Um, the reniform nematode isn't as restricted to soil type, but it kind of prefers more of that silty soil. Uh, you know, Steve, in, in your experience, how have you seen some of those um, nematode resistance varieties perform on the farm and in some research trials? Under heavy pressure, they are a great answer for us uh, as we try to grow cotton in those sites. We can use nematicides and they temporarily knock back populations, but they don't really address uh, the long-term issue of, of the presence of nematodes. But the resistant varieties can perform well under heavy pressure and actually reduce uh, reproduction and maybe even reduce overall growth and, and, and the future uh, population of, of that nematode. So I think they're very valuable for us uh, where we have those pressure. And we need to identify where uh, nem excuse me, nematodes exist uh, because they may not be the highest yielding varieties in the absence of those, but, but they do represent a great tool for us to address nematodes. Yeah, sometimes I encourage producers to kind of look at it as a non-host crop when you're going in with a nematode-resistant variety. It may not always be, you know, top of the line outperforming everything in terms of yield, but it's more of an investment in the future crops that you have to reduce that pressure going forward. Um, and there's uh, several different varieties that are commercially available. They're not all created equal. There's some that just have resistance to root knot nematodes. There's some that have resistance to both. I definitely recommend producers utilize soil testing to kind of identify what nematodes they have in their fields. You know, right now we've passed the window where you can really do soil sampling. That's more in the fall. So, you know, if you're wondering what's going on, you know, and what your pressure is going into the season, just keep a close eye out for just overall plant stress and you suspect nematodes, then this coming fall, that would be when you would sample. Yeah, I like using uh, the resistant varieties where we have significant problems because like you mentioned, in terms of rotational crops, like maybe Peanuts and cotton are a great rotation because the pests, the soil, uh, the soil nematodes that, that affect peanuts don't affect cotton and vice versa. So the, the resistant varieties can, can do the same for us in terms of reducing uh, pressure in the long term. I think we presented a great wealth of information to our listeners today. Do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for 2023? Let's talk again sometime soon. 
Oh, I know you'll be back very soon. <laughs> well, thanks so much to our guest, Steve Brown. And as always, to our listeners, if we can be of any assistance, please don't hesitate to reach out. And thanks for listening to the Alabama Crops Report podcast. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.